Welcome to the Pokes Podcast, the official podcast of OSU's College of Arts and Sciences. Today we're joined by Dr. Tommy Poole, director of the OSU Jazz Orchestra, and students Kyle Fisher and Aidan Ivano, who are both members of the OSU Jazz Orchestra. Can you all introduce yourselves and tell us where you're from, what your majors are, kind of what your background is? Well, my name is Tommy Poole, and I'm a director of jazz studies at OSU here in the Greenwood School of Music. Um, and I'll just I'll let them introduce themselves. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm Kyle Fisher. I'm a I'm a graduate student here, first year graduate student, studying uh, music performance uh, under Dr. Poole. So it's basically a jazz performance. I graduated from Spalba High School and plan on teaching college. Uh, I'm Aiden. Uh, I'm a freshman. Uh, music ed major here at OSU. I'm also a, a jazz minor as well, like Kyle, but just minor. Um, <laughs> and um, I graduated from Braswell High School uh, in Denton, Texas last year. So can you tell us about the OSU Jazz Orchestra? You know, who's who's in it? And how long has it been around? Yeah, that's a tough question. How long has it been around? There was a story done by OSU Archives not too long ago, maybe that story was done maybe four or five years ago, where they went way back and found some, you know, these old black and white photos of, I'm not sure if it was a full-size big band, but it was a decent-sized band, you know, anywhere from 13 to 18 members. And uh, they would play the uh, social functions around. They do dances. It hasn't been around by that name, but there has been a, a big band, uh, a jazz big band, on the OSU campus for many decades. So when I arrived here in August of 2015, the top big band here at OSU was named the OSU Jazz Ensemble One. And so I changed, I wanted the two, our two big bands to have different, completely different names. So I changed the top, the name of the top big band to OSU Jazz Orchestra. So technically when we got to fall of 2016, it was called the OSU Jazz Orchestra. It's open for anybody to audition. It's open to uh, music majors, um, any other major, any student that's enrolled in classes here at OSU. They are uh, able to audition for us for e either of the two big bands or our six combos. And our combo program has grown from uh, maybe one and a half combos when I first got here to OSU in August 2015, and now there are six. And, uh, and that's a good, healthy number. For two big bands, I think six combos is about right. And uh, if we get to a point where we need, you know, we've got space for another big band or more combos, we can, we can add as necessary. Uh, but right now, I think we're at a, a pretty good balance. So when you say, what's a combo? What is that for ah, people who don't know? What is a combo? Right, good question. So a jazz combo has a rhythm section, and a rhythm section is drums, bass, and a chordal instrument, sometimes two chordal instruments. What I mean by chord is C-H-O-R-D-A-L, uh, an instrument that can play more than one note at the same time. So we're talking guitar or piano and or piano. So all jazz groups are going to have, well, virtually all jazz groups are going to have a rhythm section consisting of drums, bass, and uh, guitar and piano. You know, sometimes it won't have a guitar and it'll have a piano. Sometimes it won't have a piano and it'll have a guitar. Um, and then a jazz combo can also include wind players, you know, any instrument that's played with wind. Uh, tra traditionally in jazz, not, you know, there's sometimes other instruments come, come into play, but the traditional wind jazz instruments are saxophone, trumpet, and trombone. Those are the ones that, that are uh, 
your typical jazz wind instruments. But I've played plenty on jazz clarinet gigs and jazz flute things. And in high school, there was a, a, a gentleman that used to teach, you know, we're in the, your neck of the woods where you grew up, named Rich Madison. He was a famous jazz euphonium player. And uh, he was a wonderful jazz educator. So um, there's, uh, I can think of uh, a couple of jazz bassoonists. Um, I played with Rick Todd, who's a fantastic jazz French horn player. So it's not that it, it has to be just saxophone, trumpet, and trombone. Those are just the traditional ones. Because your expertise is saxophone and then other, I assume, other wind instruments. And Okay. And then what do you two play? I play saxophone as well. Okay. Trumpet player. Trumpet, nice. I'm piano, but no, I was very, my teachers were very classical. I didn't do jazz and they actually kind of had to tell me, no, 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 you gotta loosen up. So ah. <laughs> I love hearing the jazz and wish I was better at that. So uh, that's so, so trumpet, saxophone, saxophone and other things. Yeah. Sure, and, cool. and, and I know Kyle plays clarinet and flute as well, yes. Yeah. So it's traditional for a saxophone player in the commercial and jazz realm to be able to play uh, flute and clarinet. Um, to a, a fairly proficient level. Very cool. So how, how big is the orchestra in, in numbers at this point? Uh, let's see, what are, are we, we run anywhere from 18 to 20. So sometimes we'll carry uh, two drummers. Sometimes we'll carry five trumpets. Trumpet is a, a particularly uh, physical instrument to play, especially in the jazz and commercial arenas where you're playing in the upper register more. So sometimes we'll have an extra uh, trumpeter to rotate out the, um, you know, a trumpet player to give him a break on a song. Very cool. So what is the, uh, the audition process like for these students? So maybe you can tell us as you have experienced it yourself, what was that audition process like? Yeah, we get sent basically, I guess you'd call it quote unquote etude, basically a chunk of a song or some jazz chart that, you know, some standard or whatever. And uh, we get sent a chunk of that. I know for the trumpet one this past year, it was um, a chart called Latin Dance by Bob Mincer. And so it was basically, I want to say, you know, 24 bars or something like that. And then you have like two weeks or so, or about a month to prepare it. And then you walk in, audition day, play it. Um, you can choose to also have um, a like a, a different chart to solo on if you want to show improv chops and things like that, and then do that, and then that's the audition process. And then, you know, Dr. Poole is there and some other faculty, and then you get placed depending on how you do. All right. Was it the same for, for you, Kyle? Yeah, I've done it like like five or six times now. Oh, so you have to re-audition? Every year we re-audition, yeah. Dang. Okay. So is that just as nerve-wracking every time, or do you feel pretty confident now that you've been in it for a while? I feel confident, but the first one was difficult nerve-wise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am curious because my my uh, knowledge of jazz is pretty limited, so what I go off of is movies, you know, TV shows, and there's always, you know, these people improving and just jamming and seemingly going on forever. I mean, it's great, but it's just like that's the, the vibe that someone who's not in it, um, that's my perception of things. So is that ever the case for your rehearsals? Do you improv? Do you do those things? Or do you stick to sheet music? What What's that like? I'm of the opinion that if in order for the music to be considered jazz music, a high portion of of the performance needs to be improvised. Okay. And, I, you know, the term, I've said this before to students, but the term improvisation is a little bit of a, 
Um, it kind of elevates the jazz musician to this sort of shaman-like mystic status. But it's really, it's just a language. Music is just a language, and we're just speaking it with one another. So, but yeah, t- the short answer to your question is, in jazz combo, virtually all of it is improvised. Okay. And, you know, th- and that's the art of jazz playing. It's speaking music to one another in real time. And if you think of uh, Spanish as an overall language, and then there are certain dialects, they're going to speak it differently in Barcelona than they're going to speak it in Cuba. You know, jazz is a dialect of the overall music language. We're going to speak it differently than Mozart. We're going to emphasize our priorities are going to be different than, say, would be uh, a Beethoven, someone who plays Beethoven sonatas on piano. Uh, we're going to accent different rhythms. We're going to emphasize different harmonies. We're going to, um, and it used to be that all musicians. I mean, this is maybe a, a couple centuries ago, but it used to be all musicians were trained in the art of speaking music. That is improvising, the term we use now. Um, Beethoven was a, a great improviser. Bach was an amazing improviser. Re, you know, report. I wasn't there, but reportedly, <laughs> um, Liszt, um, Mozart. You know, composing is improvising. It's just composing, you just can go back and erase things, go back and fix them. But there's, there's no difference. You know, a fluent jazz player, a good jazz player, you know, Kyle's been with me for a while. I'll go ahead and speak for him, even though he's here. Uh, but, you know, Kyle, if I'm playing something with a bunch of, of, of jazz players, Kyle can probably hear what I'm playing and have a pretty good idea of what I just played, if not exactly, and then just play it back. And... and that's, that's the level of fluency that it takes. And Aiden, I know, is also working on that right now. He came back from winter break, um, having listened to a, a famous jazz trumpet solo, and he just you know wrote out what he heard and played it along with the recording in, in exact unison with um, the person that he transcribed. And that's the art of learning to be fluent in jazz. You listen on a very deep level, and you know exactly what's going on on a melodic, harmonic, and rhythmic basis, and um, there's a lot to know. That's why all serious jazz, uh, all serious music schools around the country have a a vibrant jazz component area to their overall music program. I didn't know that uh, jazz had to be improvised, because like I said, my experience was, here's a book of jazz music, you learn this, and that's all I that was my very very limited experience so that's really neat and the and the comparison to language so is there uh, are there people that you like to speak with more than others are there certain instruments that you like to to play with other more than others oh yeah so i like talking with the drums <laughs> like all the time uh i think because i think pretty rhythmically when i'm playing so uh finding a rhythmic pattern that i can repeat and then have the drummer see if he'll catch on to it if he does, that's really awesome, and we stick with it for a minute. If he doesn't, I'll try something else and see if he likes that a little bit better. But and then he'll get he'll feed me stuff too, and so on and so on. That's very cool. How about you, Aiden? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Either you know, just say you're in a you know long solo section and you're talking with the drums, or say the guitar starts doing a random little pattern, and you catch on to that. Or um, even when you know you're trading uh, bars with another horn player too. Um, listening to them, talking to them, you know, say he plays a little lick and then someone else, you know, that's playing with them would steal that lick, play it back to him and just tell you different and they talk that way or, you know, any sorts of things. You, any instrument can talk to any other instrument. So it's uh, it's it's really fun that way to uh, be able to collaborate with everyone around you. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And so have you both had a lot of jazz experience? Did you grow up doing jazz or was it a more recent thing? What was that? What was that like? Uh, for me, in high school, I was pretty pretty exposed to jazz. Um, met Dr. Pohl in high school. My high school band director was a big jazz guy, played saxophone as well. Um, when I was younger, it was more classical piano and violin and rock and blues. Okay. So now it's pretty much only jazz, <laughs> um, but some rock and blues and a little bit of rap. And Aiden, what was it like um, for you? Sort of the same. I grew up, at, you know, I grew up in Memphis, so uh, the blues, Elvis, you know, BB uh, King, all of them, you know, was what I grew up on, and uh, some Michael Jackson too. <laughs> but um, no, I, I didn't really get exposed a whole lot to jazz until the end of my seventh grade year in middle school. Uh, our middle school started like uh, just after school jazz band. You know, you can volunteer and show up. So we had like a couple trumpet players and I think like one trombone, a bass, and a guitar. You know, so it was just like kind of a small little group and we just kind of jammed out for a little bit. And then I actually like truly got exposed to jazz in a big band setting uh, when I got to high school. And then that's when I just kind of only started listening to jazz and got obsessed with it. And here I am now, I guess. Yeah. So kind of switching gears, you released an album in 2021. Now, Kyle, were you here for that? Yeah. Cool. And Aiden, I know you weren't, but uh, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Room 118, where does the name come from? Uh, Room 118 was the old Serotine room that all the large ensembles, all the large um, band and jazz area ensembles would rehearse in. So we now, thanks to the prolific donations of Mike and Ann Greenwood and everyone else that contributed to the Greenwood School of Music that we're in now, we have moved to this building that has, gosh, I don't, I never bothered to count. Uh, mm-hmm. What are we at? At three or four large ensemble rooms to rehearse in? And then we've got some, you know, medium classrooms that folks can rehearse chamber stuff in. We've got a couple of smaller chamber rehearsal rooms by the practice rooms. My point is we've got a lot more space to do things now, but back at the old building at the Serotine Center for the Performing Arts across the street from here, uh, we had really one big building, and I think it was, that room was like maybe 3,000 square feet, uh, a couple stories high. Great room, but only one room. So we recorded that CD in room 118. It's a great sounding room. Our new room is great sounding as well. So as we walked out of that place and, you know, the CD was was getting done, I was thinking, I'm going to miss this place. And uh, so I named the CD after that, Room 118, to commemorate the last CD that, that we recorded in there. Very cool. And I know I read that it was uh, unique in that it's the first one that the jazz orchestra has done kind of by itself, right? That you didn't have other... Uh, contributing artist, or you didn't you didn't share the spotlight in a way with right. anyone else. So, what else was unique about this um, this album, and 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 also, can you tell me what the recording process was like? I'll let someone else talk about the recording process. But um, what's unique about this one? So, in the past, and this is back at my previous job too. My CDs were my large ensemble CDs, that is, big band CDs uh, from the university, were focused towards bringing in someone like a, a big time, one of the greats in jazz in the galaxy at this point, either Seamus Blake, who's one of the world's great jazz saxophonists, 
or Michael Dees, you know, bringing in some famous guest artists and we, we work the, the arrangements. I'll write some arrangements and maybe someone else will contribute some arrangements as well for the large ensemble to feature that great Grammy winning or, or whatever uh, prolific jazz artist to be featured with us. Yeah. Room 118 was different. This is a great band. It'd be nice to feature just the band on its own for this, for this album. And that's what we did. Um, and grateful, I'm grateful that uh, it's gotten so much radio play and recognition, and I know that it's getting played again at a radio station in Chicago and South Bend, Indiana, this, uh, coming up this Sunday. But I'll let someone else talk about the recording process. Kyle's been through a few. Aiden's been through one now. Yeah, one now. Just one? Okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, what's been your both of your experiences doing that? You first? Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's usually an all-day excursion. And so we set up kind of in the morning or the early afternoon, and we, we set up all the microphones, like 20 mics, sometimes you know more depending on who's playing. And then, or more for the drums in particular, I think the drums have like five or six microphones. Uh, run cables, and Dr. Pool does a lot of like the, the mixing and stuff, and so that's done afterwards. And then get recording, and hopefully it comes out good. Do a few takes of each tune, get them consolidated into one file and then move on to the next one and that the last one took about nine hours wow yeah <clears throat> about that was that the one with um time check and cantable yeah 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 we finished it it's the video that takes forever because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know it's like and and, and that's why i just bought <clears throat> it's kind of a side topic i'll just talk with you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've got a macbook coming in this friday i ordered one because we do these uh, camera angles. So if you go to YouTube and you type in OSU Jazz, there's the albums that we do, and those are released to Spotify and everywhere else you can stream CDs. That's what Room 18 was. It's a full-length audio album. And, um, but lately I've been releasing videos. So I mix the audio from the sessions, and we have like iPhones recording all these different camera angles, and then I'll go into Premiere video editing software, take the mixed audio track after I've done mixed it and gotten it to a certain loudness, and then I take the videos and then I put them together. So some people affectionately call them like Brady Bunch videos. Because, <laughs> you know, the opening of Brady Bunch, you've got all those different videos of the characters. I'm, I'm dating myself here. You guys have no idea what Brady Bunch is. It was a TV show. You don't even know, know what it is. No, but, I do. Yeah, okay, you do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so if you go to YouTube and you type in OSU Jazz Orchestra, you're going to see a bunch of these videos where we've done like this. So what's taking so long right now on those, on those videos has been... We get done with a take, and then I go, okay, guys, go to the Google Drive folder and dump your, your video via the web, you know, via the Internet. Dump it into the video folder and, mm-hmm. and label it uh, time check, take one, you know. And, and so it just takes forever to do that. So now with the MacBook, I'm hoping they can come by with their phone, airdrop it, or I'll just plug it in directly and, and, and load the video, and I think it's going to cut down the time way, way. It's going to go way faster. So... Yeah, nine hours is too long to record, but it's it's because of the video. Yeah, I just assumed that y- these uh, full-length albums were the only things you're recording, but that's not true. You are recording things. So does that, um, what is the purpose of recording things not in a full-length album? What is what does it give students opportunities? Is it to promote the school? What what's the motivation behind it? It's a great question. We were talking about recording, was it last year? We were sitting in a rehearsal and I was talking about recording and 
yeah, because Corey Burton was here. Mm-hmm. And and I remember going, okay, so here's the date we're going to record. I forget what day it was. And uh, we're going to record these three tunes. And one of the trumpet players, Parker Edwards, who's been in jazz orchestra for a couple of years, he goes, uh, hey, Dr. Poole, are we going to do the video again? And then what? And Corey Burton brought up, he goes, well, easy for you to ask because that takes Dr. Poole forever to put all that together. And then I go, well, I mean, what do you guys want to do? And um, and Parker goes, I think the video really works because that's going to reach a lot of people. People love those videos. I, I know down in Texas people are talking about those videos. And, and it's just the world we're in right now. I mean, if, you see so many jazz albums being recorded and they got GoPros in the studio. It's becoming a standard thing. Like a, a music studio will list their mic locker, you know, all the microphones they've got, the board they're using, um, their signal path. And the rooms, the isolation that they'll have between instruments, they'll show pictures of everything, their control room and all the different ISO booths and stuff, and the main tracking room, the piano. Now they're also advertising their video angles. Every room has a GoPro shooting in 4K or however GoPros shoot. And now it's part of the recording process. And if you go to to check out a a latest jazz album that's recorded at a uh, quality studio, there's going to be a video, chances are, that goes along with it. People just love to see that that video, and and we're just finding we're reaching more students like uh, talented Aidan Ivano. Uh, it's very possible that he saw a video of the OSU Jazz Orchestra before he auditioned here. Very true. Oh, first, yeah? first thing I looked up, actually, was just OSU Jazz Orchestra on YouTube. See what I could find. And that's what, it, what Blues in the Abscessed Tooth, I think, is the first thing that came up. Yep. And I watched that. I was like, cool. When I was coming here, I wanted to do jazz, but like a lot of the other schools I uh, auditioned at, it was like, you know, all right, to find out what the Jasmine is, you got to email the director and, okay, and do this and do this. And it's like, or like they would have very little content. Or if you wanted to see them, you had to go. It's like, well, I'm going to drive five hours, right, to go watch, you know, some jazz band. And so, yeah, it was awesome just being able to look up, cool, here's OSU Jazz Orchestra. Okay, here's like 10 songs. Yeah. And then here's who was on them. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So. And as he goes, as Aiden goes uh, forward and, and, and applies for, high school band director positions in Texas or wherever, you know, the more of a, of a national reputation or, you know, I guess a international reputation that the OSU Jazz Orchestra, the OSU Jazz Studies program has in general is that much more of a feather in Aiden's cap because more band directors or hiring committees at these high schools are going to go, oh, okay, yeah, he, this person can not only run our this ensemble but could also head our jazz program here at the high school level. Tommy, I was reading your bio to just uh, make sure I knew what you're all about. Um, but it's, you know, you have some big names listed there with who you've performed with. Mm-hmm. and. I'm not a jazz person, I've already said that, but I did, I saw Rosemary Clooney. Why, so I wanna know about that. Why did you perform with um, Rosemary Clooney? And also how does um, performing with some of these, you know, uh, established professional musicians, how does that compare to working with students? And so I guess there's two questions. Well, sure. So Rosemary Clooney, uh, you know, her musical director is John Otto, at least it was back in the 90s, so I'm kind of dating myself here but <laughs> this, that's when I played with Rosemary Clooney a couple, couple times so John Otto is a piano player who played with Woody Herman I think he was an Eastman School of Music graduate and uh, he wrote the charts uh, all the charts we did a lot of doubling a lot of flutes 
I think I was on flute the majority of that of those shows. Uh, Johnny Mathis is similar in that way. You're on flute a lot for his show. I didn't want to teach at the college, or I didn't feel I had earned the right to teach college music unless I had made a living myself playing it first. And not everyone has to feel that way, but that's the way I felt. Now, I did that while I was their age. I was an undergrad, you know, working at Disney over the summer. I think that's when I was playing with Rosemary Clooney a couple times. But that, that kind of experience of here's the music, you got two hours, see at the gig. And it's going to, you know, so there's no time to rehearse over and over and over again. And that is how the world is outside of, you know, the ivory tower. You're getting hired because they know you're going to get it quickly and they're not going to have to worry about you. And they don't have to worry about the Rolodex, keeping track of what Kyle Fisher can do and what he can't do. And so when the gig comes up, they have to make sure that they match the player to the gig. I tell the students, you want the contractor to call you and you say yes, and then you ask what the gig is. You want that kind of versatility. If the contractor has to try to remember what you can and can't do, then the contractor is not going to call you. They want to know that you can do everything. And Kyle can do that. Kyle can read. He can play flute and clarinet. He can play alto. He can play tenor. He's, he can play rock tenor. He can play jazz tenor. Um, you can give him a C lead sheet. He can play it. You want to if you if if you don't have lead sheets for him, he can f- listen to the music a couple times through and figure the form out. Unless it's kind of a whacked out complex form, Aiden will get there. But Kyle's already there. So that's why if I can't do a gig, I recommend Kyle. But I wouldn't know how to teach that, I don't think, if I didn't already have those experiences with people like Rosemary Clooney. So yeah, that kind of versatility, handing out charts in front of you. I know what a saxophone, you know, for instance, I know if a saxophone player and he says, hey, I just want to play like John Coltrane. I go, well, that's cool. But if you want the phone to ring, you might want to think about playing flute and clarinet as well Mm -hmm. and learn how to play a pop saxophone solo. Because you have experience before becoming a college professor, do you see pros and cons or things you like more about uh, being in the college setting as opposed to being in the, out in the world in the professional setting or? Well, thankfully I don't have to choose. So I still play, I mean, tomorrow night I'm at Lowdown in downtown Tulsa. I played there last Saturday, I was at Lowdown. I think right before Christmas, I played three Christmas jazz shows in a row. There's lots of places to play and there's opportunity out there. So luckily, I don't have to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the short answer to the question, and I knew this, I started my first collegiate academic position was a tenure track job at Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. And the moment I got that job, I called my mom and dad. I said, this is the best job I've ever had. This is the best job. And Every day I drive to work, and I don't. I never go. Oh, I gotta drive to work. Mm-hmm. Every day I drive to work, I, I can't believe I do this. I'm, I'm literally, playing the music that I enjoy, and teaching the music that I enjoy, and writing the when I get time to write, mm-hmm. writing and arranging music that I enjoy, constructing classes, constructing a degree plan, around what I enjoy. I mean, it's it's a perfect job for me, and I knew it would be. I just had to give myself time to feel worthy to do it. So Aiden and Kyle, um, are you going to follow in uh, Dr. Poole's footsteps? What is, 
what's your vision for your own future? What's, your answer what you, will not affect your grade. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, what do you, I think, Kyle, you said you want to teach. Is that what you said at the beginning, right? That you, yeah. You're looking to teaching. And is that inspired by Dr. Poole? Did you already go into it thinking that way? Not to put you on the spot because you're in front of <laughs> Dr. Poole right now. But yeah, what do you see for your, both of you? This is a question for both of you. What do you see for your futures? Yes, I'd say it's inspired by Dr. Poole, and not just him, but also my father, who is a teacher. doesn't teach music, but he teaches science, probably something genetic there. <laughs> Ideally, teaching at a college, doing what Dr. Poole does would be really cool. You know, having some students to, to teach and inspire and help them um, achieve their own goals is really fulfilling. You must have had good teachers to feel that way. You know, I, I don't think anyone wants to become a teacher if they haven't, like you said, been inspired by their teachers. So that's awesome. Aiden, how, how about you? Yeah, much the same. My high school director, uh, I was super close to, and he, you know, he got me into jazz, and he also got me into music, and and uh, was the the re- he's the reason I'm, I'm here doing music ed as because I guess I guess you can say great teachers make great teachers, right? So, <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he's the reason um, I'm here, and so I want to do music ed. Um, yeah. I don't know yet if I, if I want to teach, you know, middle school, high school, college. I guess I'll figure that out um, in you the coming time. years. Yeah, i got a couple of years. But I you know, have, have been thinking um, high school is probably the route I want to go and do the same thing that my director did for me, introducing people to, to music and and uh, jazz and all the different forms and, you know, helping them figure out what they want to do and, you know. Very cool. Now, you were recently invited to the Jazz Education Network Conference in Orlando, and we were originally going to talk to you about that experience and maybe write an article. We were, you know, that was kind of what prompted this, that we were made more aware of what you were all up to, but heard it didn't go according to plan. So can you tell me about what happened when, on you, when you were trying to get to Orlando for that? We got on the bus in Stillwater and drove to OKC early in the morning. Like, I think we left at 7. We successfully got on our airplane to Dallas, successfully stayed in Dallas for our layover, and uh, a storm in the East U.S. canceled our flight to Orlando. So um, we hung out in the DFW airport for a few extra hours. Dr. Poole did pretty much everything he could to get us a, a flight to Orlando, but it just didn't end up working out. So we hung out in the airport, had a lot of time with friends. I thought it was a good experience. I got to know some of the people, our piano player in the jazz orchestra, I got to know a little bit better just because we spent, you know, six hours in the airport or however long it ended up being. Um, but we scrambled to get a flight back to OKC the same evening and, and did that and then took the bus back to Stillwater. That was the whole experience, really. Day trip to Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was one item that did get to Orlando. Oh, no. Yeah. Our, Zach Tucker, our, oh, yeah. Yeah. Our, our baritone saxophone player, his, Barry, his baritone sax got gate-checked in Dallas, and it got to Orlando. Oh, no. And then eventually got back to Stillwater. <laughs> That's got to be nerve-wracking. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice berry, too. Anyways. Yeah. But I know you mentioned to me in an email that, you know, this was a great honor and that they will be, there will be more chances in the future. So, yes. but can you tell me more about why this is such a big, sure. uh, big deal that you got invited to this conference? So Jazz Education Network, uh, the way that the audition process works is folks like me, collegiate jazz directors submit three recordings, three audio recordings of their band performing. 
and then they you have to label the file a certain way so that it doesn't identify what school you are, who you are. But there's a panel of folks that know collegiate jazz very well, and they just go and they listen to all of them. They don't know who these recordings are, and they choose their their best four or five. I don't even know how they break it down because they only accept four or five collegiate big bands, period. Uh, yes. And it's an international conference. So we were, you know, our recordings were in the top four or five. Uh, they got accepted, and we had a great tour of the DFW airport mm-hmm. and uh, its A and C terminals. And uh, three years prior, we were invited, and we did get to go. We drove a bus um, down to New Orleans, and we did that. That was in 2020. And we did that. It was a great experience. Kyle was in that band um, and went on that trip. You can only go every three years. Okay. So I was concerned after we weren't able to go. I was like, oh, boy, well, we'll have to wait till uh, 2026 to go again for me to submit again. We fall into a loophole now because we were invited and we're going to go, but we weren't able to go because of weather or or whatever, you know. So we fall into this loophole where I, I guess we can submit again for next year. You know, we'll be back into the competitive pool with everyone else being blindly uh, peer-reviewed. Oh, that's good. That's good news. Yeah, because that would be... I'd rather they said, oh, yeah, come on in. You know, I'd rather they say, <laughs> sure, we'll, we'll just trans- you know, transfer it forward to next year. But no, we got to compete again. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. 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 Which, I'm curious, which recordings you chose? Are any of them off the album? Were they, in, you know, did you record them separately oh, no, for so, this? Well, n- none of them were on, are on an album because they're all recorded last year. So, no, none of them are on an album. Now, I, I am in production right now on a next CD release. So I would expect that to be released fall of 23. Uh, what goes into choosing which recordings you submit and also which recordings you choose for an album? You know, how, what is that? What is that process? Well, for the three, it's pretty easy. I, I need to choose three different styles, so I'm not going to pick three Latin jazz numbers to submit for a, a Jazz Education Network conference submission. I'm, they want to see different styles. They probably want to see different soloists as well. If it's the same soloist, if Aidan Avano's playing solos on all all the charts, they might, they might wonder, is this the only person that can get up and play a solo. So, yeah, I vary the solos. I give them, I'm going to order the tracks, and I'm going to piece together the album in a way that shows the different abilities, facets of the of the ensemble from not only a stylistic standpoint, but from a soloist standpoint, how many, how many um, fluent jazz players I have in the band that can get up and just play. Yeah, because I was listening to the album last night, and uh, I did notice how many soloists that, you know, just as you're listening through that. And I thought that makes sense. I, I, again, not super versed in jazz, but it made sense, especially for a university album to give these students the opportunity to showcase their talent. And so with that album, do you have repeats on soloists on there or do you have the soloists on the album? Oh, yes. Yeah. Some so I think Kyle's got maybe three solos on the last album. So yeah, that's, it's normal to have and, 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 and just because you're in jazz orchestra, even though it's competitive to get in the jazz orchestra, there's no guarantee you'll ever get a solo. Uh, a student has to really, you know, I tell a student, you want a solo, you got to force my hand. You, <laughs> you, you got you to gotta bring it. You know, if, you, if I give you a chance to solo and you're not there yet, then I'm probably not going to put a solo, you know, on the album. You know, it has to, I, don't, I don't release anything that I wouldn't buy myself. I'm not going to release... A video on YouTube that I wouldn't enjoy. I'm not going to release. 
I don't release things just to release them. It's going to have to be something I, I, I dig, something yeah. I enjoy. Yeah. Kyle, what do you have a favorite solo or favorite um, song on the album that you were part of? Yeah, Art of the Big Band was my favorite to record. I think a lot of it was I got a lot of individual time with Dr. Poole. I'm giving away some jazz secrets here, but it was definitely overdubbed. And so spent some time at the school recording that solo, spent some time getting some takes at Dr. Poole's house in Tulsa, and it was just a, it was generally a good time. So, yeah. What does overdubbed mean for those of us who aren't in the jazz and audio <laughs> industry? Oh, it's it's where you, like, you record something separately, and then you impose it over the track. So, like, say someone fracks a note, or uh, if you had a singer on a recording, couldn't sing a particular line, they would later, after the recording session, uh, sing it alone and record that, and then have it imposed on the song afterwards. So That makes sense. I guess dubbing in, in movies, you know, you dub over something, but I still don't understand how it works with music, because I guess there's different mics and different inputs, but I don't know. It's hard. In a big band, it's really hard to overdub, because there's just so many live mics in the same room. It's real, you know, there's bleed everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to overdub in a big band. You know, you're talking 30, 30 inputs, you know, 30 microphones, and they're all sensitive. You know, we've got nice mics. Thank you, thank you, donors. <laughs> thank you, Tech Fee Grant, student Tech Fee Grant. But we've got nice mics, and, and the nicer the mic, the more it picks up. question about what you might say to someone who says they don't like jazz because Mm. I've heard that in my own family sorry no offense no but I've had and so yeah how would you convince someone um, of the opposite how you can convince them that they should like jazz yeah yeah it's first of all I'd say if you don't like jazz it's not your fault (laughs) okay so so that that's my thesis statement for what I'm about to say if you don't like jazz it's not your fault Jazz is a music of freedom. You, we, are improvising right now. We are playing jazz with the English language because even though you wrote, you do have some sheet music you're looking at, you do have some questions that you're reading off, you're bouncing back and forth. And it's not like, you know, 99% of what you're saying with us right now is improvised because you're hearing us respond to your question and then you respond back and and that's what's happening and when jazz music is good. Mm. It's responding back and forth. So with great freedom comes great responsibility. So if, if an audience is sitting down to listen to a jazz performance and so much of it is improvised or made up on the spot or communicated uh, in real time, then it is the responsibility of the musicians on stage to be able to respond to one another honestly and accurately. So that takes a lot of know-how. It takes a lot of ability. It takes a very high level of musicianship. It's the difference between being able to go and, and read a paragraph out of your Spanish textbook in front of a class and being parachuted into rural Mexico and surviving where no one's speaking English. Because if Spanish isn't your 
you know, your language of origin, you're probably going to sound like you've got an English accent, like an American accent. So that's what, what you're doing when you're taking these classical lessons. You're trying to, trying to get that perfect pronunciation, elocution, that perfect performance of it, and it's hard. Music, that music they play is very hard. Jazz is different um, in, in a way. We are training you to understand the music and hear the music in such a, um, a deep level that you can communicate it back and forth with one another. So if you heard bad jazz, let's go back to your parents if, or who, whoever the family member was. Let's say you've heard some bad jazz. The audience, if they hear a bad version of Herbie Hancock's um, Tell Me a Bedtime Story, well, that's a hard tune to play. It's a hard, the chord, the chord changes are very difficult. And the musicians, they got to know their stuff. They got to really know their stuff if they're going to play a tune like that. And if they can't play it well, the audience is going to be confused by what they hear. And they're going to internalize that. And they're going to feel it, it's their fault that they didn't understand the performance. Where it wasn't their fault. It was the musician's fault. They heard some bad jazz. It's not the car's fault that it, that it, it faltered when you gave it diesel, when it was supposed to get unleaded. You gave it the wrong fuel. So if you play for an audience, you play some jazz music, and with all these solos, and the solos sound terrible, it's not the audience's fault that they don't like it. It's the musician's fault. A great jazz performance, even if you have no experience, don't know what jazz is, don't know what a major scale is, don't know what a major chord is, if you don't know anything, a great jazz performance will translate. You will understand that, hey, that piano player just played something and the drummer just answered. Now I hear the saxophone player and bass player, and now they're joining in on it. Well, if there's no communication in the band, there's nothing to witness on the bandstand. And the audience, as an audience member, you just start looking at your watch going, when is this going to end? But if you listen to a great jazz performance, it's exhilarating. It's like, whoa, I just saw something that won't happen the same twice because they were just communicating in real time. And instead of using letters A through B, they're using the notes C through B, C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E. So uh, Aiden and Kyle, speaking to your you know, fellow OSU students who, who might have that opinion of, oh, I don't like jazz because whatever reason, you know, it's not their fault they haven't been introduced to some good stuff, but what would you give them to introduce them to jazz or your favorite musicians? Um, places to look would be what we call American Songbook standards, songs that are simpler. So when I first started listening to jazz, I was listening to a lot of Dexter Gordon. He's a saxophone player. Everything he plays makes a lot of sense. That's just how it is. I don't understand how or why he's that good at making sense, but that's how it is. Songs like There Will Never Be Another You, All The Things You Are, um, a lot of songs that maybe have lyrics, and so you can go and say, oh, you know, maybe this is what that song means, as opposed to stuff like Tell Me A Bedtime Story where there aren't necessarily lyrics to it, so maybe you just don't understand it because it's not the language you are used to speaking. I would also say, like, jazz covers such a wide range of styles that there's probably something in there that is similar to what people listen to already. It would just be a matter of finding kind of that gateway music, and then you'd get hooked pretty fast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's your gateway music suggestion, Aiden? I personally started listening to Louis Armstrong. Yeah, classic. Super basic. Everyone knows him, right? So it's like that. that's what I get into. 
But when I got to high school, what my band director used to transition a lot of people into jazz was a band called Snarky Puppy, which originated from UNT, Denton. And they're great because they do a lot of crazy, complex jazz stuff, but also, depending on your level of listening, it's still just good music, you know. And a lot of it resembles, you know, modern-day stuff because they use electronics and, and things like that. And then from there, you can get transitioned, oh, okay, this keyboard player is actually really good at this stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. It turns out he's actually crazy deep into, like, say, gospels music or, you know. And so, like, all the different members of the band, uh, once you start looking into them, have, like, super thick jazz backgrounds. And so what he would do is, you know, we'd listen to Snarky Puppy at the start of class and then say we'd, like, pick one of the people and find out who they were and their background. And so as far as transitioning people to jazz, I mean... You know, I think our jazz bands when we first started, because we were a new high school, when we first started, I think like three out of the 18 of us like actually had listened to and or played jazz to like some basic level before uh, high school. And then I think my graduating class, eight of them are getting music degrees now. And it, all eight of them were from the jazz bands. And so it's like, you know, that's how we started off, Transition Jazz. Took people that had never listened to it before, threw them some Snarky Puppy or, you know, Louis Armstrong or whatever, and then they come out jazz machines. So uh, as far as transitioning people to jazz, I think it's a, that's a, a great way to start. So if you want to transition to jazz, listen to Snarky Puppy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to tack on real quick to that. So he, he mentioned that he looked at the, the per- personnel for Snarky Puppy and, go, and, and noticed that they were all these prolific jazz players, had this rich jazz background, you know, went to University of North Texas and was involved with their uh, large jazz program there. And think about every band you've seen on TV. So Seth Meyers' band, um, Stephen Colbert's band, all the late-night talk show hosts. If you've been on a cruise ship, all those bands, the house bands. If you've been to a wedding reception and there was a band playing. If you've been to a corporate party, a corporate event, and you've seen a band playing. If you've seen a Broadway pit orchestra and they're playing these different styles. But all those categories there I talked about earlier, those are jazz musicians. Now, maybe they're playing not jazz all the time, maybe they're playing a different style, but there's a reason that every serious school, college, department of music at any uh, reputable university will have a vibrant jazz program is because the skills that you learn as a studier of jazz come to bear in all these other commercial styles. The ability to walk into a band without everything notated on that sheet music and be able to listen to the form, figure out how you could improvise or create in real time or, or very quickly a part that will contribute to the whole musical product. Well, kind of building off of that, I was curious about the connections you might see between music, the jazz orchestra, and other departments within the College of Arts and Sciences. That's very much the art side, but how to, and we've already talked about how it is language, and so it, you know, it's connected to that. But how does learning music, especially jazz music, help you in other areas of your life? Have you seen ways in which it might help your brain think about things differently? <laughs> You've seen that movie Vanilla Sky yeah. with Tom Cruise? He's a rich guy, Tom Cruise's character, and he's got resources upon resources is the impression I get. And he's sitting there with a panel of neurosurgeons 
like a council of the country's or maybe world's best neurosurgeons, and they can't seem to fix his headaches he's got from this massive car wreck he's had. And he's kind of got a bit of a deformity, I think, in his face. And he looks, he's, he's frustrated that they're not solving the problem even after all these surgeries. And he goes, come on, figure it out. Play jazz. <laughs> he gets mad. He goes, play jazz. And, and what he means is take the knowledge that you have and compose on the spot. Find a new way to make it work. Approaching a discipline in an artful way is the ability to communicate with it, to compose with it. And in a just general getting along sort of standpoint, it's really hard to play on a bandstand a jazz gig with someone who's a jerk. <laughs> I'd imagine. It just doesn't work. Because imagine we're all communicating in real time with one another. And if someone's sitting over there playing, and it, you know, there's only, especially a jazz combo, if there's like five or six of you and playing in a band, and someone thinks they're right, or it needs to be their way, you know, forget you guys, I'm going to be right over you. It doesn't work that way, because mm -hmm. it'll mess it all up. Everybody has to work together in terms of the rhythm, harmony, and melody, the three big components of music. And they all have to be uh, sharing the ball with one another at all times. You're only as good as everybody is. You can't walk in there and be the star. The band has to be the star. That's it for our podcast. Thanks to our guests, Tommy, Kyle, and Aiden for joining us today. And thanks to Jason Wallace for editing and mixing this podcast. You can follow the College of Arts and Sciences on social media at OK State CAS. <laughs>